Revelation 21.1, it says this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. We know that because of what God has done, we have a bright, bright future. We have so much to look forward to and what God has prepared for us. That God has given us the great hope of heaven because of what Christ has done, because he died and because he rose again. We know that this world in which we live, the earth on which we walk, is not all that there is to look forward to. The pain of this present day, the sorrow that we experience. Tomorrow in our nation, we will remember many people throughout the history of our nation who have been willing to go to fight, to do whatever is necessary to protect the freedoms that we enjoy in this place. And we know that tomorrow there will be many families, some recent, some far removed from that tragic loss when their loved one was willing to lay down their very life to protect this nation. And we, not just as Christians, but as Americans, we have a responsibility to remember them and to pray for them and to encourage them and to thank God for them. But we also have a duty and a responsibility to point them to the blessed hope that we have because of Christ. Pain today, absolutely. Sorrow, unspeakable. Tragedies, they happen every day. Just last night, over in Hampton, Virginia, not far from where we are today, eight people were shot as they were gathering together for Memorial Day weekend cookout. Eight people were shot. We know tragedies happen every single day but we have hope because we know Christ has given us what doesn't make sense. He's given us that blessed hope that because of what he did on the cross, because of the empty tomb, we know there is joy yet ahead. And so let us remember this weekend. Let us remember those who have fallen, those who have given their all for us so that we can gather like this here today. Let us pray for them. Let us reach out to them if we have that opportunity. Let us put our arms around them if we can. But don't ever forget that greater responsibility that we have to point them to Jesus. As we talked about, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, on this Memorial Day weekend, we know that there are so many families who the pain of losing someone so dear of losing someone that was so meaningful to them that they loved with all of their hearts. God, we know that in some cases that's a very fresh pain. That's a 
uh, that's a recent wound. And, and so, God, we pray that regardless of whether it was recent or whether it was many years ago, that you would minister to them and encourage them and strengthen them and guide them in all that they're going through. God, we pray for your perfect peace, the Philippians 4 peace that goes beyond anything that we could ever understand. God, that you would give that to them, grant that to them so that they can, they can see that you're with them every step of the way. Psalm 23, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there is nothing to fear because God, you're there. And so God, I pray that for those families, for those who, who are experiencing once again that that memory, that, that moment of loss, God, I pray that you would flood them with your joy and your peace and your love and your comfort and your encouragement. God, we remember them. The Bible says very clearly that there is no greater love than when one would lay down his life for a friend. And tomorrow, God, we honor many who have done that for friends and strangers willing to lay down their lives. And God, we pray that you would bless those families. We thank you, Lord, that you are the perfect peace that they need. Now, Father, as we open your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would give us strength. God, I pray that, that we would walk out of here today being reminded of your great love for us. And, and God, that you would allow us today to, from your word, learn once again, see once again how amazing it is, God, that you could send your son Jesus for us. And if there's someone here today or watching or listening to this sermon, this service, your word, God, I pray that if they've never come to that place where they've recognized their need for a savior and have believed in and trusted in and accepted you as their savior, God, I pray that in this moment today, God, that you would speak to their hearts, bring them to you, draw them to you today, and let this be the day of salvation. And God, will give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 12. Last week, you remember, we were in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We talked about and we were walking through the, uh, the series over the last few weeks of how to go from surviving to thriving. Now today, we technically are not actually still talking about that, but you do realize that anytime we open God's Word, we are talking about how and go, to go from surviving to thriving, right? You get that, that that's kind of a, a theme that will always be part of everything that we do when we are doing it according to God's Word. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to continue in Hebrews chapter 12. Again, last week we were in chapters, uh, 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and today we're going to start with verse 4, and we're going to keep moving forward, and we're going to talk about something that, that oftentimes is not like a lot of fun to talk about. It's not like something we look forward to. It's not something that we want to be part of our journey or part of our lives, because today what we're going to talk about is discipline. And nobody likes discipline, Right? When we were kids, when we, you know, heard that proverbial, wait till your daddy gets home, that nobody likes that. Am I right about that? Now, in my house, I was always looking forward to when my daddy got home because my daddy was a pushover. I could get away with anything with my dad. My mom, she was the bruiser. I mean, she was the one that she, I mean, I'm telling you that, that when, when she needed to discipline Jerry or Jeannie or me, I'm just telling you, we were hoping that she was away on a trip and dad was the one home. Because dad would like, oh, you, you smashed the outside air conditioning unit with the car at 13 years old with, a, uh, with the car. You ran through and messed up the car and, and destroyed our air conditioning. It's no big deal. It's all good. We'll get a new one. By the way, that actually happened. 
The first time I got behind the wheel of a car, I ran over our central air conditioned unit of the house and smashed into the house and destroyed the whole, and my dad laughed. <laughs> How cool is that? My mommy didn't laugh. It was a totally different story. I was 13 years old, by the way. And by the way, I shouldn't have been behind the wheel of a car, right, at 13 years old. And obviously, I proved that point that I shouldn't have been behind the wheel of a car. But nobody likes to talk about discipline. But today, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the discipline of God, which is a totally different discipline than when we recognize it from the context of being a parent and a child or maybe a school and, and a student or, or maybe even the government, the police, uh, and, and, and someone who has uh, broken the law. We're not talking about it from that context. We're talking about it from the context of God's discipline of his people, of God disciplining us, why that's important. Now, we're going to talk about it today, and we're going to talk about it next week, okay? Today, we're going to talk about the benefits of discipline. And by the way, like that's something that we don't always put those two words in the same sentence, right? The benefits of discipline. And then next week, we're going to talk about how God disciplines, of how and why and what God uh, does and, and what he responds to, what he reacts to, and how he disciplines us. We'll talk about that next week. But today, we're going to talk about the benefits of discipline, of why it's something that we need to cherish and treasure rather than something that we need to avoid and discount. And so that's what we're going to be looking at, what we're going to be talking about. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's start this passage. We're going to begin with reading with verse 4. Uh, if you're following along in the notes in, in our TRBC app, all of the, the notes are there, and the passage is there. And, and I encourage you, if you haven't downloaded that yet, you can do that on the, the Apple uh, uh, App Store or the Google uh, apps or Android or whatever that thing is, App Store, and you can download that. I encourage you to do that because great, great resources that are there. So let's read together, beginning with verse 4. It says this, After all, you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. In other words, remember now the context, right, right before this, we heard that statement that we talked about last week where this passage is encouraging all of us to lay aside that weight that trips us up, right, that slows us down, that keeps us away from running the race that God has for us, right? And so, you know, they, they tell us, lay aside that weight, uh, you know, get away from that sin that so easily trips you up recognize we need to run the race that's before us, just as Christ was, you know, the race that he ran and what he did and what he accomplished for us. And then it goes on to say, in contrast to what Jesus did, again, verse 4, after all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child is never disciplined by its father. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It is painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living to those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet, so that those who are weak and lame will not fall. 
but become strong. Now, this passage clearly, as we read through it today, is a statement about the benefit of discipline. And when you read that passage, that's the only thing you can walk away, that discipline is a good thing, right? You, you heard that, right? When you read that along, did you get that? That discipline is a good thing. And so today, let's kind of talk a little bit about, from this passage, why it's a good thing. And the first thing we see from this passage is this, is that discipline is actually encouraging. It's actually an encouraging thing. Now, that doesn't make sense because in our context, what we're always thinking about with the word discipline is being smacked down for something that we did. We always kind of interchange the word discipline and punishment, and they're two totally different things. In fact, in this passage, you go back to verse 4, and it says it this way, have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? Listen to this now. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one and he accepts as his child. Now that's in the New Living Translation. If you go over in the New King James Version, it says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. And so whether we use the word chastening or rebuking, or whether we use the word, here's the New Living Translation, the Lord's discipline, and when He corrects you, the picture is it's two totally different things. So discipline and punishment are not interchangeable. So the idea of discipline that we get from God's Word, in fact, if you go back in the original Greek language here, you very clearly see exactly what that means. It talks about the word discipline is actually the idea of correcting something in order to make it stronger, in order to make it better, in order to refine it so that it will come out on the other end in much better shape than when it went in. And so you see the discipline here, when we say the statement discipline is encouraging, you see that in fact it really is. Because if we are doing something wrong, that someone can help us then to do right to make us better in what we're doing, then certainly on the back end of that, and the end of the day, that is always a good thing. God's discipline of His children, you and me, it's always a good thing because He's always trying to make us better. He's always trying to correct what needs to be fixed. Now this passage, it says, now listen, don't forget what God spoke to you concerning His children. And this is a, a throwback or a, a pointing back to the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter uh, 3, verses 11 and 12. And so the, the Hebrews, the, 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 um, the book of Hebrews quotes then Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, where it says, do not stay back from, do not avoid, do not lament the idea that God is going to discipline you. Don't run away, don't quit, don't give up. That was a big step. When, <laughs> see, now listen, now, Rob, if you would have seen me doing that, and you would have said to me, be careful, you're about to fall down, that would have been discipline. That would have been a great illustration. And instead, you said, others, hey, watch this, Paul, he's going to fall. That's not helpful. <laughs> so we're talking about discipline that's helpful, right? That actually helps us to become better. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews is very clearly pointing back to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and he tells us this, didn't you remember what God said? Don't you recall the great wisdom that God gave to us in His Word when He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Why? Because it will make you better. And everybody in this room wants to be better, right? When some of you were in school and 
and you got into sports, maybe you were playing football or baseball or soccer, and you got in and you started, you went out for the first time, you went out for the team the very first time to, to figure out if you actually had some skills, some talents to be able to do something, you showed up there, you had no clue what to do. I remember I went out for baseball my senior year at high school. I have some friends of mine were playing on the team and, and they talked me into going out. Man, I went out there, I had absolutely no clue what I was doing. I'd never really watched a baseball game. I didn't know how to play. I didn't know how to catch. I didn't know how to throw. I didn't know how to swing. I didn't know how to do anything. I mean, I was horrific, not terrific, horrific when it comes to this idea of baseball. Had no clue. But obviously, the goal is when you go out there, when you start you know, jumping into a sport, the idea is that someone is going to help you get better at it, right? That a coach or a teacher or, or a friend is going to start teaching you and showing you how to do things better so you can actually hone the craft and get better and better and better at what you want to do. That is what discipline is all about. It's the idea. I see back over here, Kevin Foster. Kevin uh, and I have played golf together a few times through the years. Kevin's an awesome golfer because he plays like four times every day. Am I right about that, Kevin? I, I mean, like the three times a day, something like that, right? You play golf all the time. He's an incredible golfer. And so we've gone out, we've played golf together before. I'm a terrible golfer. I, I mean, I, I do not know how to play golf real well at all, but we've gone out together. And, and so I've learned from him how to actually play golf a little bit better than, than what I started with. And so by watching him, by, by, by seeing, you know, his skill, he's better at it at me, than me and, and can show me things. And so he helps me. And that's the picture, by the way, of God's discipline. That God actually takes what is in our lives and, and in our walks and in our journey that is not great, that, that messes up, that goes in a different direction, that is not lining up with God's plan and God's will. And God says, no, no, this is the way to do things. And he corrects us in that way so that we will walk out better on the back end. Now, so in all of that, when you hear all of those words that I just gave you, the context of what we're talking about, does it now make sense why we can say that discipline is encouraging? Because it makes us better? Because it makes us a better person? I've got four kids. Talked a few moments ago about the first time I got behind the wheel of a car. A wreck, first time behind the wheel of a car. Smashed the air conditioning unit. Jonathan Jr., when he started driving, started teaching him how to drive. He got out and he got into driver's education training here at LCA and got behind the wheel of a car and had a wreck. Ran into another driver's education car. <laughs> Which, by the way, for a dad, that's just beautiful. That's awesome. But now he's a great driver. Jessica, Natalie, and Nicholas, you know, we, we trained them. We showed them how to do it. We would, we would take them out, and we would teach them how to why, because we knew that when they got out on the road, when they got out on the, on the highway, when they got out on Ward's Road, with all the crazy drivers and, and people speeding and, and all of the things that are going on, that we want them to be what? Safe, right? We want them to be safe drivers. We also want them to be safe from all the crazy drivers that are out there. Why? So what we do is we correct them, and we show them, and we discipline them. Listen to me. Discipline is encouraging because it makes us better. And so in this passage that we just read a moment ago from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 and 5 and 6, it, it says, don't you remember what God said? God said that discipline is a good thing for his children. Don't run away from it. 
Don't make light of it. Don't quit. Don't give up when, when God corrects you because he does it as his own child. Discipline's encouraging. Second thing, discipline is endearing. Verses 7 and 8, as you endure his divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate and are not really his children at all. In other words, discipline reminds us that we're a child of, of God. Now listen, we all, and we don't need illustrations here, but, but we all know, we've all seen, we've all had experience with, with children who've never been disciplined by their parents, right? I mean, kids who are just out of control. Am I right about How many of you have ever met a kid who's just out of control? Just raise your hand. Yeah. We've all met some of those. Some of those are you that just raised your hands. You're like, yep, that, that's me. I, I'm out of control. I mean, we all know people who, kids who, who are just completely out of control, undisciplined, no matter what happened. We've seen them in the grocery store. We've seen them in, in different settings. We've seen them maybe in the, the park or whatever. I mean, just kids are just way out of control because the parents have never done anything to correct them or discipline them. Discipline is endearing. Here's why. Because what it does is it reminds us that God looks at us as His children, that we can look at Him as our Father, and the purpose of His discipline is so that He will actually line us up with His will and keep us down the right path of what it means to be a right kind of person in God's plan and God's kingdom. It's endearing. It actually draws us closer to Him. And in fact, this passage even says, listen, be afraid that if God doesn't discipline you, if you're not experiencing that discipline, then here's what it might mean. It means that God doesn't care. No. But here's what it does show us. It gives us a picture that if we are not experiencing the discipline of God at times in life, then what we can recognize, what we can see is this, is that maybe we're not His children at all. Because God disciplines people differently. Everything we're talking about right now as it relates to the discipline of God has to do with God responding to discipline His children, Christ followers, Christians. We're not talking about what God does with, with mankind, what, what God does with those who are not followers of Christ, who, uh, those people who don't believe what we believe. Now, that's a whole different story and a whole different set of rules and a, a whole different thing that we're not going to talk about today. Yes, God does punish sin. Yes, God does you know, correct us in a, in a way when we do things that are dishonoring, no question about it. But we're not talking about that side. We're talking about the fact that this is a picture of us being the children of God and Him wrapping His arms around us and saying, listen, hey, let me show you how to do it better. Let me, how to, let me show you how to, to make your life line up more with, with my will and my word. And so it's, it's endearing. It, it draws us in with my kids Obviously, there are times when I've had to correct them and discipline them through their lives, and they've done things that I've had to, you know, discipline them for. And, and in those moments, we all know that discipline's not a good thing, right? Not a fun thing. It's not something we look forward to. And in those moments, sometimes they're a little bit stressful, and sometimes they're hurtful. And we've all heard, we parent, parents, man, it hurts me more than it's going to hurt you. Kids never believe that line. They never believe that line. But I'm going to tell you something as a parent. It's absolutely true, because we never, ever want to hurt our children. We never want to do anything to, to do something that will hurt our kids, but we only do it, why? Because we love them that much, because we want to make sure they're on the right path, lined up with what God wants for them. The Expositor's Bible Commentary 
gives us a picture here when we talk about discipline, because discipline third is engaging. Listen to what the Expositor's Bible Commentary says. The word holiness is not common. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it only occurs one time in a variant reading of 2 Corinthians 1.12. It points to God's holy character. The aim of God's chastisement of His people is to produce in them a character like His own. Understand that line again. The aim of God's chastisement of His people is to produce in them a character like His own. Now, let's go back and read verses 9 and 10. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of our Father, of our spirits, and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. In other words, when God disciplines us, it brings us into a stronger relationship with our holy God, making us more like Him. Holiness is always the ultimate goal of our lives. Holiness is always what God wants us to shoot for. Holiness is always what God wants us to to achieve, to run towards, to, to try to accomplish. And the only way that God can lead us down that path is when discipline is part of the life. When discipline is part of the journey. You see, discipline gets us to the point where we are engaged in God's will and God's plan for us. The Bible tells us, be holy for I am holy, God speaking. The Bible tells us over and over again that we need to be like Him. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, everything about God's Word points us to the truth for the path that we need to be more like God. And the way that God does that is through the picture of, through the statement of disciplining, of correcting us, of shaping us the way that He desires. And so the statement, the idea of discipline is not something that we should fear. It's not something that we should be afraid of, that we should be scared of, that we should want to stay away from to avoid at all costs. Discipline is actually a good thing because it lines us up with God's will, it lines us up with God's plan, and it points us to the idea that God's chastisement of His people, the ultimate goal is always to produce holiness, to be more like Him. The last thing we see in this passage is this, is discipline is edifying. It actually teaches us something. Look what it says in verse 11 through 13. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. I think all of us understand that statement, right? We don't like discipline. It hurts. We don't like discipline. It's not fun. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands, strengthen your weak knees, mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fail but become strong. In other words, discipline brings the kind of joy which can only result from right living, which can only result from doing things God's way. Now when we talk about this idea of discipline, when we talk about this idea that the passage here in Hebrews chapter 12 very clearly tells us that, that, that God's discipline is a thing that He does because He loves us that much, because he, he wants to grow us, He wants to shape us, he, he treats us as His children, He wants to wrap His arms around us to, to, to bring us along, to show us this is how the journey goes. 
And it's literally as if God has his arms around us, is walking along saying, now this is where you're supposed to go. This is what you're supposed to do. No, don't step there. No, no, stay away from that. Oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Come back over here. It's kind of that old typical uh, illustration that so often we've heard about, don't touch the hot stove, right? I mean, it's as God is walking with us every step of the way so that he will produce in us exactly what God's plan and God's will is for us. And make no mistake, God only wants what is absolutely the best for his kids. Parents that are here, wouldn't that be true of what like you believe about your kids? I want only the best for my kids. Man, I want the best for them. I want them to experience life, that, that John 10, 10 life that we've talked about. Man, I want them to, to just do things right. I want them to go the right way. I just want the best for my kids. And I think every parent in this room would say the exact same thing. I want what's best for my children. And listen, and I will do whatever is necessary to help them get there. I will do whatever it takes. My kids know that. I've shared that with you before. My kids know. I will do whatever, ever it takes no matter what, to help my children. And I will do it till the day that I die. How much more, as this passage says, how much more do you think God our Father feels that way? Discipline is not a bad thing. Now next week we're going to talk about like what that discipline looks like. Because I know when we get this picture, this idea of the discipline of God. So yeah, it's a great thing. It's, it shapes us. But here's the deal. As we just read, it's not always fun. And we need to understand the difference between discipline and punishment. We need to understand the difference between God shaping us and God like correcting us like that is wrong. And next week we're going to talk about that. But I wanted to start here for a very specific reason. Because next week when we come together, when we begin this conversation, I want you to walk in here with the right view of discipline. That discipline is a good thing because God uses it to make us better. And there's no doubt, there's no question that when you say that statement, that God only wants what's best for his kids, what lines up perfectly as we go back to verse 4 that we read a few moments ago, when God reminds us through his word, and you've not laid down your life because of your sins, you know what that reminder of uh, is for us? It's that that's what Jesus did. Because what Jesus did is he laid down his life for our sins. He paid that price. Why? Because God would do anything necessary to make things great for his children. That's God's plan. That's what discipline is all about. Father, today we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you encourage us through your word. And we, we thank you that even when you have to correct us, even when you shape us, even when you turn us away from where we're going, God, I, I thank you that, that you do that because I know that's proof of a, a picture of how much you truly love us. And so God, I pray that today for us gathered in this room, that we will understand that truth and, and that we will we'll get that idea, that we will have that concept very clearly in line with our hearts and and with our minds, and, and where we go, and what we do, God, that you want what's best for us, and God, we give you the praise for that. And God, we know the ultimate picture of that is the fact that you gave your son Jesus, 
so that we could have that Revelation 21 picture that one day because of Christ that we will enter a place where there is no more pain and there's no more death, no more tears, a place where you have created for us called heaven. And God, we know that's only possible through the gift of your son, Jesus. And so I pray that today, if there's anyone here that doesn't believe that, has not come to that recognition yet, God, I pray right now you'll do that in their hearts. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, as our team is gathering here at the front, in a moment, same story every week, we're going to stand together, we're going to sing. When we do, the altar's going to be open, our team's going to be here. And if you're here today and you do not know Christ, we would love to talk with you about that. It's the most important thing that you will ever do. I promise you, the most important thing that you will ever do is understanding who Jesus is and what he's done. And we would love to talk with you about that. Our team is gathered here at the front. Maybe you want to come and leave a prayer request or come and pray about some other situation. Maybe you want to come join our church, come for baptism. As we stand together right now and sing, I encourage you, do what God is telling you to do because God wants what's best for you. Let's stand together and let's sing. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of, of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift. You can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves.